0: Thank you, Kirk. Thank you, worship team. Thank you for wearing name tags today. I know sometimes that can kind of feel funny, but I appreciate you doing that because that just makes it easier for us to not be as embarrassed when we can't remember the first name of someone. So thank you for that. also want to remind you men, this Saturday, this Saturday morning, 8.30, We've got a great breakfast scheduled along with uh, some great fellowship. We even have kind of a little challenge game. You don't have to do it. It'll only be volunteers. It doesn't involve eating food. Um, And then uh, the last part is we have a devotional that we'll be sharing at that as well. So all men, no matter age, we would encourage you to uh, join us with that. Well, it's good to be with you. God is working here at Lakewood. He's working in the Brainerd Lakes community. He's working in our country and in the world. But it can sometimes feel like things are getting worse, and they probably are. But remember, when people are at the end of themselves, they often begin searching and looking for something to fill what is missing. Over the last number of weeks, we've been able to look more in depth at the character of the church And I think this has helped us see the importance of being a word-driven church and a spirit-led church. For the church to do what God intended for the church to do, we must keep the main thing the main thing. We must keep Jesus Christ central to all we do. Today, we'll be looking at a very missional passage of Scripture. It is Matthew 28. So if you want to start uh, turning to that, you can. So when we have the power of the Spirit in our lives and are driven by the Word of God as our authority, we are ready to follow the example of Jesus Christ and reach out to those that don't yet know him. See, faithful followers of Christ pursue those that need Jesus. So let me set the scene for our main passage today. Jesus had been resurrected and appeared to a lot of people. See many didn't even recognize him until really Jesus actually revealed himself to them. It says in Acts 1:3 he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And we get a glimpse from the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15:6 that he mentions a gathering of 500 brothers and sisters in Christ that see him. But we're going to return to that passage a little later on. But now, pick up with me these last words of Jesus on earth. These are some, po- most, you know, these are some powerful, loving, encouraging, and challenging words in Scripture. These words give those that are faithful followers of Christ... Our mission. Matthew 28, 16 through 20, I'm just going to read that. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If you are newer to Christianity, the statement is called the Great Commission. It is Jesus' command to all Christians, to all faithful followers. It gives us a singular purpose. We are to point everyone we can to Jesus. I found an interesting Barna survey that was published in 2018 about the Great Commission. And I found this result kind of hard to believe. 51% of all U.S. churchgoers say they are unfamiliar with the term Great Commission. Another 25%, so 25% of that 51% can't recall the exact meaning. As it is with anything, I think we just need to be reminded to keep our focus on Christ. As Paul says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. What I'd like us to do this morning for a few minutes is to look at the life of Jesus and how he lived out what he's asking us to do. So he gives us this great commission, but we see how he lived his life to say, yeah, he can tell us to do that. Because he did it himself. Well, let's go back to verse 16. It says, Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Well, as I said earlier, Jesus has been resurrected and has met with his disciples and many others, as it said in Acts 1, for 40 days. That's a long period of time. Oftentimes, we can move right from his resurrection and go right to the ascension to heaven, as if nothing really happened between those two. But see, Jesus stuck around and showed, it says, many proofs and continued to teach them about the kingdom of God. Not the kingdom here on earth, but the kingdom of heaven. Verse 16 instructs the disciples to go to Galilee. And more specifically, we learn from Luke that they will be near the village of Bethany, which is near the Mount of Olives. And so here they are going to this mountain. The highest point of this mountain is a half mile above sea level. But you know, it's interesting. It's considered a very sacred place by Jews, Christians, and Muslims even today. Verse 17, and when they saw him, and they're referring to, uh, Matthew's referring to Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Well, Last week, Pastor Matt talked about the worshiping church from Romans 12. Well, what is worship? Well, basically, it's, it's a way for us to show reverence or worth for someone or something. Can you imagine each time the disciples saw Jesus after his resurrection? Imagine the thoughts that would have been going through their head. Like, I saw him dead, and he's alive. And every time you see him, you're like, he's alive. Yeah, he's alive. They had spent three years watching him do incredible miracles, showing extravagant love to all people. The passage implies that when they saw Jesus, they worshiped. It was an immediate response. Have you ever had one of those times in life when you felt so close to God, all you could do is just worship him? Like, wow, Lord, I don't even know what to say. You're incredible. Thank you. We have this advantage over the disciples. We get to see the full story laid out and know how things will end. Jesus won on the cross and he won in the end. This is a sure thing. See, some of you, like me, read over the last three words of this verse where it says, but some doubted. Seems kind of random, right? Like, wait, they worshiped, but doubted? How does this all work? Think of the disciple Thomas. He was reluctant to to believe that Jesus was alive. Even though many of his friends... And his fellow disciples had told him so. It wasn't until he saw him. He didn't doubt anymore. He says, my Lord, my God. He didn't need to put his fingers in his hands. He didn't need to see the nail scars. Doubt, though, can be a good thing or a bad thing. Doubt should maybe push us to ask questions about things we're unsure about or even maybe feel are wrong. However, many times doubt can push us the other way. It can push us toward fear and paralyze us from moving forward in any kind of a healthy way. But as I did some digging from some other commentaries, I I found that many believe that more than just the 11 disciples were there. Much like the feeding of the 5,000, only men were counted, but there was over 10,000 people presumed to be there when he fed them because women and children weren't counted. So it is thought that many that Jesus appeared to found themselves together and most likely traveled together with or in the vicinity of the disciples. Many in that group, like Thomas, had heard but not really seen. They, and so they doubted. There doesn't appear to be, though, any evidence in Scripture that the disciples of Jesus doubted his resurrection and his teachings after his resurrection. Most of the disciples, according to the Bible and to church historians, died as martyrs. (laughs) You don't do that if you're doubting. Maybe if you're insane. Now we come to what traditionally is called the Great Commission. This is Jesus' handing off to his disciples as well as to those of us that call ourselves faithful followers of Christ, the ministry of the gospel. The good news that Jesus has paid the price for our sins by living a perfect life and willingly sacrificing himself on our behalf on the cross and then having a victory over sin by being resurrected. The Great Commission is so important for us because Jesus gives us some very important instructions in it. Yes, that was spoken to the disciples, but it was recorded by Matthew here to be shared with all faithful followers of Christ in the future. I know the danger of a passage like this, though, is familiarity. I know it is for me. It's something we, we have heard so many times, right? That it seems like, it almost has lost its power or significance. I would contend that this passage is central to all those that have chosen to follow Christ. Would you do something with me when I read it? Would you just close your eyes and just listen to it as I read these three verses? And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, Therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Was there something as I read it that stuck out? I know that when I slow down enough and I read it out loud to myself, there's words that I pick up that I sometimes have read through many times. I challenge you when we get to passages of scripture like this that are very familiar that we slow down. Because if we're repeating them a lot, there's probably some significance in that, right? Each of these verses, I could do an entire message on. Matt could probably do three. There are so many supporting scriptures throughout the Bible that teach on each of these three verses. But as I just said, you need to see when passages repeat and there's phrases and words that are used over and over, it's best to pay attention. They are, as the Apostle Paul would say, of first importance. So let's look at verse 18. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. See, this is significant. Any human could make that claim. But only Jesus could truly back it up. Think about the first couple of words. All authority. All authority of what? Well, everything. And we know that because he says, heaven and earth. Well, that pretty much covers everything. How can Jesus make that claim? Because he created it. well, we get a clue from uh, the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17. It says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is just one of the many passages of Scripture that make this same claim. The second consideration in this passage, though, is the statement, has been given to me, meaning his authority. Wait, he created all things as the triune God, so what is given to him? Well, if we go another verse further in Colossians, to Colossians 19 and 20, we see this. It says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus, and through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace, and here's where it is, through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus' death on the cross provided the final authority, this is also the first of many times you will see Matthew use some kind of combination of all or always. And this isn't by accident. He begins to show us the extent of Jesus' authority, that it absolutely has no limits. Well, we're to go and make disciples. We've heard it many times. So what is really so what is really supposed to be so important about it? Well, the emphasis in this verse is interesting. It's make disciples. I'm not very good at English. and I had to be really careful when I wrote this because I'm like, I'm just going to totally mess it up. But what is interesting in this passage is the main verb is make disciples. And the words go, baptize, teach are all subordinate to Make disciples. So, if we are to make disciples, what's a disciple? I don't want to assume everybody knows. Well, the answer is rather simple a disciple is one that follows, one that is a learner, and in our context, a follower or a learner of Jesus Christ. As rabbis would back in those days, they would have fellow Jews, young Jews, that would follow them and their teachings. And everything they said, they would, they would memorize and use. But then we see Jesus, he was called rabbi a number of times, but we see that Jesus is teaching and he has his disciples. But Jesus now changes that when he says, it's not just for the Jews, it's for all nations. That means everyone, no matter station in life, free or slave, rich or poor. This statement was radical to these Jewish disciples. This is not the way it had been done for centuries. But if you remember, as Jesus walked, talked, and engaged with people, it didn't matter who they were. He saw everyone as an image-bearer of God, one that he clear, dearly loved and cared about, even if they didn't show the same, thing, same way back to him. I need to be clear, though, that when Jesus says baptizing them, he doesn't mean that this is what saves a person. See, baptism is an outward sign of what has been cleaned, washed inside of a person's soul because of the work of Jesus on the cross. It's a public declaration to others that you are a follower of Christ and want to be known as one. By the way, as you saw the video, if you're interested in baptism, we have one next Sunday. It is not too late. Please let me know. Let one of the elders know, the church office. We'd love to talk more to you about that. Jesus wanted his disciples and those that would follow him in the future to do as he had done, to do it with his authority. Jesus reminds his disciples that he the Father and the Holy Spirit are one and they are working this together, not separately. And now finally in verse 20, Jesus is teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, see, making disciples really is is twofold, I think, when we see this passage. First, it's about making disciples that don't yet know Jesus. So we're sharing Jesus with others that don't know him. The second part of it is found in this verse 20. It says about, and that's really about teaching the commands. It's it's about passing along the teachings of Jesus to those that already know him. Why? So that they will grow up and mature in their faith, and then they will be able to make disciples. So how are we as followers of Jesus Christ reproducing? Well, we need to look for ways to share with others that don't know Him. And we need to continue to grow closer to Him each day. We can't quit either. We're going to have good days. We're going to have hard, hard, horrible days. And we just thank God for His grace that He's saying, hey, don't quit. I'm with you. Jesus' final words on earth are most encouraging and powerful. These last words, get this. Here he is. He's leaving. These are his last words, and he ends with this. I am with you always to the end of the age. So the same power that parted the Red Sea, tumbled the walls of Jericho, that turned water into wine, and raised Jesus from the dead is the same Holy Spirit power you have living in you as a faithful follower of Christ that's power and you know what that verse tells us it's not temporary either it starts when we are regenerated in Christ and continues as we go with him in heaven this is for eternity what a promise what a truth now that we have a little bit better understanding of what Jesus asked us to do and told us to do, let's just now go back and look at his example of his life. How did he live this out? Well, when we, when we read and look at Jesus' life, we see that his heart, listen to this, is inclined to sinners. He's leaning in. He's not stepping back to those that didn't know him. We know this to be true. There's a couple verses. Romans 5:8 tells us this: God demonstrates His love toward us that while we were yet sinners, He died for us. We also pick up a unique encounter in Luke 19:10. It's the story of Zacchaeus. Some of you may be familiar with it. And Zacchaeus' life and course of life is changed by this one encounter with Jesus. But it's interesting. In this verse 10, it says the um, in this encounter it says this. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. These are some pretty important words. The Son of Man refers to Jesus, and then he puts it in a nutshell. Why? Jesus left heaven and earth, or left heaven to come to earth to seek and save the lost. That was and is us. The word seek here could have a couple different meanings. Both really work well. But it's a seek has that feeling to look intently for something that is lost. Or the word pursued is another word that could be used. This has the idea of looking uh, intentionally and going after something specific. Think about that. Jesus came to pursue us. He looked intently and intentionally for us. This was an action. He didn't just mm, look around from a distance. He personally put himself in the midst of those that were lost. He didn't wait for them to come to him. He sought them out. So if Jesus is still pursuing today, what is the message? What is our message? I think the Apostle Paul says it best in 1 Corinthians 15. says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. Here it comes. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That is the gospel. And that is important. So we must keep Christ central to all things we do and say in this room and in our lives. We can't deviate it, deviate from it one iota. See, we regularly see Jesus extend grace to his disciples and to those all around him on a regular basis. Jesus approached every interaction he had as a divine appointment. Do we do that? I have, I have said that I often don't do that. I can sometimes be so busy that I don't slow down, down enough to see the needs that are right in front of me. I have a schedule to keep. I have things to do. I want to get places. And I miss the most obvious encounters. But we're a church that believes that we need to live biblical lives and be a part of intentionally reaching out to those that don't yet know Jesus. This is not to be left to the professionals and leaders. It is for each follower of Jesus to do. Jesus is commanding us to do this. Remember, that is the Great Commission. We need to follow Jesus' example and do what he modeled for us through the way in which he lived his life. I know that it can sometimes feel scary to share Jesus with others. And I'm just going to tell you, if you felt scared, you're normal. There's nothing wrong with you. It can be hard because we have an enemy in our world that wants nothing to do with the gospel and will do his best to create fear, doubt, shame, But remember, we are not alone in this. We have the Holy Spirit that is at work in us and through us. No matter how persuasive and eloquent we are, it is never us that changes the hardness of a person's heart. That can only be done by God himself. What we are called to do is love God and love others as best we can. I'm thankful there's much grace given to me. And I hope you are too, because of how often we fail. The key, though, is to keep trying in His power, not our own. Can it be discouraging when you've been sharing and no response toward Christ is happening? Yeah. So let me leave you with a few last scriptures that can help us stay committed to this idea of making disciples. We have power. Dr. Luke in Acts 1 quotes Jesus and he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We are not in this alone. I've said it multiple times. Please never think you are. The Holy Spirit is the one that provides us the strength and the wisdom but it means we need to allow him to do that. Next, we must prepare. The apostle and pastor Peter, he writes in 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it, With gentleness and respect. See, it starts with honoring God. Another way to say it is to revere God. Since He is holy, the least we can do is what He asked us to do in His power and in His timing and in His will. See, He's worth it. He gave everything to redeem us. It also, this passage tells us we need to continue to grow in our faith and knowledge of God. There will never be a time when you know enough. We need to be a disciple, which means learner. This doesn't mean you need to have the latest commentaries, the Bible study tools, attend a special Bible class. The intent here is simple. Can you share with others about what God has done in your life? And basically, It's sharing your testimony. Can you share the good news of Jesus if someone asked you? I will note you have a sheet in your bulletin, a green sheet, that gives you really all the information, all the verses and the questions. and encourage you to read through that, familiarize yourself or re-familiarize yourself with it. And if you want extra copies, we have them on the welcome desk in a smaller form that you can put in your car or put them somewhere you know else. Somebody from Lakewood told me they saw one sitting over on one of the desks over at CLC, and he says, I just left it there. <laughs> but whenever we want to share about what God is doing in our lives and share with others the message, he is, we must do it not with a hammer, but with gentleness and respect. That means we care about the person. They never become a project. We need to truly care about the eternity of this person. And that means we do need to do whatever it takes. We need to love them well, no matter how receptive they currently are to the message of the gospel. We must be wise. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 5:15, and we're going to look at two parts of this. The first part is, "Look carefully then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise." See, we live in a, world, a wild world. We see people making important decisions on a whim and a feeling, and the consequences can be immediate and long-term. But as a faithful follower of Christ, Scripture is telling us we need to strive to watch how we navigate our daily decisions. Our helper, the Holy Spirit, can help us do that. I know for me, I use like the fruit of the Spirit as a guide. Am I being gentle? Am I being patient? Am I being self-controlled? And also in Ephesians 5, different part of it, Paul asks the question, are we walking in love? Well, when we love people well, They notice. See, many people are skeptical of Christianity or have left the faith because they look at Christians and they say, I I really don't see any kind of a difference. And sometimes I even see things that are worse. Well, when we accept Jesus, remember this, we are a new creation. We have the Spirit in us. We now have the power to look and act differently. We didn't before. We're going to blow it. Thank God for his grace. But he wants us to confess, admit, ask for forgiveness, grant forgiveness, and get moving again. And finally, the second half of that verse in Ephesians 15, we we must live intentionally. And I would even add, with urgency. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. We are called to live intentionally when it comes to reaching out to others that need Jesus Christ. That means we, we need to make a plan. Now, that plan doesn't have to be some crazy list of things. It might just be three names that you commit to this morning to begin to pray for and ask God to open up opportunities with that person and you begin to just look for those opportunities. You don't wait for them to come to you. You make efforts toward it. Just as Jesus pursued us, seeks us, we need to seek those that don't know Jesus. Remember, being intentional is making some plans that may allow for conversation. Ask for help from a neighbor with a project. Yes, I said ask for help. Because when we ask for help, it shows that we are needy people. It's always okay to help them too plan a summer barbecue for that matter bring get your neighborhood together or just get a couple together share some snacks at the ball game you young families that have kids at soccer games baseball games and the like be creative be patient it will take time it may be as simple as asking them if they go to church and you're like whoa I don't know if I'm going to ask people that if they don't if they don't ask them why I and mean, you're like, no way, I'm not going that far now. You don't need to invite them to come to church. That's not the intent. But learn why they don't want to. It may be something in their past, a pain, a hurt, something from church when they were younger. These All these things contribute to their view of God, the view of Christians, and the view of the church. So Paul's reminding us that sin is all around us. And we need to do this with urgency. The days are evil. We can't wait for others. He has called each of us as faithful flowers to do our part. So, as we started, faithful flowers of Christ pursue those that need Jesus. A church is to be missional, there are things we can do collectively as a church. But I believe there's even more we can do individually in relationships we have already around us. Would you pray that God would reveal a few names that you will begin to seek or pursue so that they will be able to have eternity in heaven? Jesus would not have asked us to do this if he hadn't given us the tools we need. Would you pray? Gracious Father, thank you so much for your Son, Jesus. Thank you for those last words he shares that give us a mission. A mission with purpose. A mission that has eternity in view. Spirit, I pray that you would reveal to each of us names, of people that need to know you. That we would pray for them. That we would intentionally pursue them. That we would love them as you would love them. Sacrificing, as it may be, we have to do. Lord, we're talking eternity. And we need you. And we want to be with you. And we want our friends, our family, and those around us to know you and to be in eternity with you as well.